Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I have found an, another another amazing heart-centered leader. And I want to introduce you to Helen Hirsch-Spence. Helen and I connected again, LinkedIn, amazing social media platform. And Helen is an entrepreneur and she has expertise in education and learning, age diversity, inclusion, and intergenerational collaboration. Her former leadership experiences led her to a social enterprise called Top 60 Over 60. And Helen works with progressive businesses and organizations to maximize their efficiency, their talent management, their innovation, and their prosperity. T60 offers practical guidance on how to engage an aging workforce, establish high-functioning multi-generational teams, and create an overall stronger sales opportunity for aging customer segments. So Helen, I'm so delighted to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. I, I love your energy, Helen, and I know that you are such a creative, solution-oriented woman. So I'm ready to dig into some leadership questions if you're ready. I'm ready. I don't know what they are. But I'll do my best. <laughs> now, Helen, I know that you have had your consulting business and you've had quite an amazing and progressive career yourself. What led to the passion and creation of T60? So I refer to it as top 60, not T60. I think that um, that's a leftover from earlier days. Um, what led to it? Oh, it's very simple, Deb. I was confronted with um, that horrible transition period between you know being a leader and people seeking you out and wanting to know what your opinion is on many different issues to becoming rather irrelevant and invisible uh, once I left that position. And that alone didn't bother me as much until I realized that um, it, isn't, it isn't me, it's everybody in this generation who's transitioning from one stage of life to another. It doesn't really matter. Uh, what it is, but they get lost and they are become um, unsure of themselves and all of the, the skills, expertise and knowledge that they had sort of goes out the window because they question their own uh, abilities as a result of the way in which society um, deals with uh, an aging population. And I confronted ages of myself. So when I retired, I think I was pretty young, actually. I was in my late 50s. Um, I wasn't, I, I didn't realize what retirement was. And I didn't want to really retire, but I didn't want to continue doing what I wanted, what I was doing. So I stopped working and I uh, oriented all my energy towards not-for-profits. I worked with Jane Goodall as chair of her board and worked with her for over 10 years and, you know, did a number of, of different exciting uh, travel adventures where I always worked 
um, as well, or vo volunteered, let's put it that way. But then I decided I, I really wanted to do something else. I was exposed to social entrepreneurship from some of my past students who introduced me to the Social Innovation Center in Toronto. And it opened my eyes to a whole different sector of social impact. And that's when I started really digging in and uh, figuring out, oh, I could do so much more. And then I with a, a number of, of different persons helping me, coaching me and whatnot, I decided I'm gonna do this. What is this all about? And I decided to do it about ageism, to try and um, raise awareness about all the possibility that our aging population brings to the fore, but that is discredited because of our youth centric society. And do you feel, I just want to add a little extra question onto this conversation yeah. because it's so good, Helen. Do you feel that you're making a dent or seeing a bit of a shift in perception and ageism in the workforce? Um, not yet, frankly. I mean, I think there's an awareness. So here's the, here's the thing. So I called it Top 60 Over 60 because I wanted to draw attention to a generation of boomers who are older rather than younger, uh, who have st still lots of vitality. We're the best educated, uh, most ethnically diverse, healthiest generation um, ever. And yet we're more or less discarded once you hit 60, 65. Um, so I, I named it that for that reason. The truth of the matter is that we have an aging demographic worldwide. And in Canada, we're not recognizing the impact of that aging demographic. I mean, think about it, Deb. Two people turn 65 every second globally. Our population of seniors, which is a word I never use, but it, it refers to people over the age of 65, is going to double in the next uh, decade or so. And yet we're not addressing some of the key issues around keeping these generations of older people active, involved, engaged, uh, part of a community so that they do not need any of the supports that we always hear about. All we hear about seniors is that they're vulnerable, they're dependent, they're a burden on society. Well, nothing could be further from the truth when you look at the figures and the statistics. It's just uh, um, one of those myths that is so pervasive that it's really hard to, um, to, to change. So, I mean, so although ageism is sort of one of the underlying um, challenges that I'm helping organizations and individuals face uh, and people are beginning to recognize it because that, you know, that big bulge is coming through demographically. You know, there are Helen Mirrens and there are other people out there who are saying, don't talk about anti-wrinkles. That's insulting. Aging is something to be proud of and something to, you know, to go for. So that is changing. It's just not changing very fast and it certainly isn't changing very quickly in businesses. But I believe in the next five years or so, the imperative is gonna be there and there will be a larger uh, cohort of older people being retained simply because they are a natural resource in Canada. You know, they're sustainable because the population's getting older, it's not getting younger and it won't for a really long time. So, and we can't bring in enough immigrants. And as you know, due to COVID, we now have, you know, global talent, con you know, con converging on um, every single business. So 
there's more competition. But in Canada, in order to prosper, we really need to take advantage of the economic strength that older adults bring to the bring to the workforce. Well, I love that. Not only the economic strength, but I look at the foundation and the strength of emotional intelligence and the, e, the ease of those soft skills like you have in heart-centered leadership. Technical skills can always be trained. The soft skills can't. So such an interesting conversation. My second question that I love to give all of my guests, Helen, is what imperfections do you feel that you bring to your heart-centered leadership? <laughs> I don't want to dodge the question, but I just want to add one thing because you, you said something significant um, about uh, older adults um, have experience. They have life experience. And what I didn't know, except through the research that I've done, is that experience actually trumps knowledge and skill. So you're absolutely right when you said that those skills that we bring they're skills that complement a younger generation. And when you put the two together, it's really a, a dynamite um, <laughs> um, duo, let's put it that way. Um, so sorry, so imperfections. I didn't think about this in advance because I forgot. Um, I, I, I can't tell you of any perfections <laughs> that I bring to the leadership. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I'm a very idealistic perhaps or too idealistic. I thought when I started this in my late 60s that everyone would get it. <laughs> and I have found out the hard way that they don't. Um, so, you know, my that's been that's been hard on on me personally because I thought it was so obvious, but now I'm realizing it this what I'm really involved in is like an awareness campaign of all the issues around aging. And um, that's not easy to do. So I work more or less alone and I have had a colleague working with me for about two and a half years. She's taken on an, another role at the moment, but I have somebody else who's working with me who's wonderful as well. Um, but I'm pretty much on my own. Um, so I've had, I've had to learn so much and my impatience probably at learning different um, platforms such as trying to put courses online or just upgrading to um, uh, Word 365 or Microsoft 365, you know, a lot of things that I, I, I am intimidated by initially. And then I remember, no, I can do this, but it takes me longer. <laughs> and I have to understand that I'm just, I'm, I just wasn't, I didn't grow up with uh, all of these digital uh, competencies that I could use. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I'm, there's so, as I say, I can't think of any perfections, you know, marketing, branding, uh, all of those things that I knew nothing about. Um, and I say branding because I named this top 60 over 60 because I was so excited about uh, the potential of, of doing something uh, along the lines of, of a competition at that time. But in fact, my passion has been working with older adults and helping them realize um, their unconscious bias, which is holding them back. So uh, I created a program called Reset, um, and it was supported by the Ontario Centre of Workforce Innovation in Ryerson. And it was all about identifying um, the uh, self-directed ageist uh, belief system that impedes older adults to take on sort of an entrepreneurial mindset. 
So, I mean, the imperfections are probably the, very much that I launched into something uh, without fully understanding the uh, implications of every aspect of what I was doing um, and, and hoping and working towards a goal, um, which I continue to, to work towards, but I'm by no means there. But I do think that we have an impact because um, again, another, another area for me that was totally unknown was social media and um, understanding how that works and making what we're doing you know, relevant to the right audiences, which are businesses, so B2B, to help them understand the value of multi-generational workforces and retaining their older employees or rehiring others. Um, gosh, I mean, Deb, there's so many things that I, I've done incorrectly, imperfectly. And you know what, they've all led me to learn that much more. So absolutely no regrets, but it's, it's like doing a, a PhD in, in, in learning through failure, <laughs> if that makes any sense to you. Well, it makes total sense. And I love your openness and vulnerability. And, and I believe progression continues when we keep falling forward and trying and I think you're doing a great, great job, which is why I wanted you on the show. My next question, I wanted to really shine the spotlight and frame a question so we could really speak to our listeners who are entrepreneurs or employers or even within the HR sector. Helen, how can age bias be overcome during the interview process? Oh, well, I mean... I really, you know, when I work with clients, I mean, with HR or with leaders and whatnot, I really like to do a bit of an audit of everything that they have that surrounds them. So, so to speak, um, to give you an example, their website, what kind of images are they showing on their website? So let's say I'm going for an interview, I'll check out the website and all the information that's on there. I'll look at the diversity um, and inclusion uh, strategies or policies to find out a bit more. Um, but it's very much the language that's used in interviews, um, the bias that you're not even aware of. So that's why I try to work with people to help them understand how pervasive this bias is. Because just by, by asking a question about experience, you could be knocking out older or younger employees because you say, for instance, you don't want more than 10 years experience or you want more than 10 years experience. There's all sorts of um, language or um, not just language, but sort of expressions, you know, that we use. And that's what I, I do a lot of in terms of raising awareness around the issues. For instance, I'll give people examples of ads, which look pretty innocuous. However, when you dig slightly deeper, you'll realize that there's a bias there, but you wouldn't have seen it. Um, you use expressions of, for instance, somebody might approach you and say, you know, uh, gee, you look great for your age. You know, that sounds like a compliment, but really it's a backhanded insult <laughs> in that what is your age supposed to look like? We're so focused on chronology and not focused on the attributes that individuals bring to the various roles. So it's, there's no easy one answer, Deb, to that. Um, it really has to be a fairly uh, um, larger conversation around, you know, what it means to include and make people belong. And it's not just um, the interview process, but it 
it begins there. Actually, it begins in the recruiting process when you start looking for people, you know, being very conscious of, of what you're saying. And I mean, there's so many research studies that have proven that the minute somebody recognizes um, that the individual is older, they'll get um, far fewer callbacks than somebody who's, who's younger. So I won't go into the research, but it's massive, the, the bias. Well, I, I, it is, it is massive. And I, I'm glad that you're spearheading top 60 and, and really doing and bringing your vision to fruition. I, I have heard comments over the years with some of the HR professionals that I've worked with. And I think it's important to kind of bring some of those comments on the show, just to let people know, to provide that, that, uh, cognizance or hearing the comment to say, oh, that does resonate with me. I've heard this, you know, comments like, are you sure you can handle this job? Right. It, take, it takes a lot of energy and enthusiasm. And we're looking for someone with career potential. I, I've heard that. I've heard okay. things like you don't need this training at your age. What would the benefit be? Right. Uh, that's such a misnomer. I mean, that's such a, a myth. Um, and so really, I spent a lot of time debunking myths like what you just said, that the research has proven that older adults take less time off, are more productive and more innovative than uh, younger colleagues. They have different values and belief system. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that they're better than other generations. It's just when they complement other generations, it makes for a really strong um, uh, work workforce. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, so people uh, also think that older people can't learn as quickly. There's this mis misguided belief that you can't learn tech technology. Well, the fastest growing uh, group of people who have adopted technology are those who are over 65, something like 150% um, since uh, I can't give you this, I could give you the specifics, but I won't, but it's huge. And 70% of those people use technology daily. So as I said, like with me, you know, learning some of those platforms, it may take a little bit longer, but I can do it. And I know I can do it, but the big problem is believing that I can do it. And that's what I try to, when I work with individuals, either coaching or with some of the coursework that we do, that's where the emphasis has to be because people have lost their self-agency because they have bought into that unconscious um, myth that they're not capable after a while. So brain research has shown that we can rewire our brain brains and we're doing it all the time. There's brain research on memory and how, uh, how how we still have the, the ability to um, increase memory. So there's so much um, misrepresentation of what it means to be older like that. And the other biggest problem is the fault of many in um, HR is they do not invest in their older uh, workforce. If they were to train or give them the same amount of training, even as they approach 60, 65, but truthfully, ageism begins already at age 45. People are experiencing it at that point, you know, that they're going to walk away at age 55. These people don't want to walk away. Like retirement is not what it was for our parents. It, it is not the, um, people are recognizing with a, with a longer lifespan that very often they have to uh, work longer to finance it, but more importantly, they want to work, not necessarily in the same capacity. So the, there's so much that HR could do to be um, 
more diverse and more inclusive without, um, without in any way um, diminishing the productivity and uh, the business case, um, which is exactly the antithesis of what people think. And there's now like, because of the aging demographic, there's a ton of research that proves that, but people don't know it yet. And they, they just, um, they keep on going in the same direction. And truthfully, I mean, the leaders in these businesses and co companies, they have to understand it too. And very often they are older white men. Um, and uh, you know, they have that privilege but they don't necessarily see that it's valid for others. It's very funny, but uh, uh It'll change, I think, slowly but surely, out of necessity. But I'd like to help people in talent management understand what the, how they can get ahead of the game now. And um, that's an interesting and very challenging conversation. Doesn't have to have to, it doesn't have to do with ageism. It just has to do with recognizing the strengths. The minute you bring up the word age or ageism, everybody shies away and uh, doesn't want to have anything to do with you because they know about the laws and the, the, the legal implications and they're scared and rightly so because there've been huge cases against businesses for being discriminatory. But there are ways that you can include people meaningfully and also get rid of the dead wood that you don't wanna have, right? So. Absolutely, that's, uh, that's something I've seen greatly this year is uh, anyone who has been in any type of senior management, senior leadership, executive leadership, even right up to C-suite, there's no room for complacency, especially during a global pandemic. No. So I love that. And who's, who's coming out of the woodwork to help? It's interesting. We're calling on retired doctors, nurses, and teachers to help out. And they're going. They're the most, um, uh, they're the ones who are going to be impacted the most by the by COVID and yet they're showing up in large numbers to help out. Now, why is it that they're okay to be called back when there's a crisis, <laughs> but not in, in good times? I, I would maintain, and that's what I'm trying to tell uh, business leaders. If you were to hire somebody who is um, more experienced at this point, they will help you get out of the, uh, the deep hole you might be in faster and better after you know we get through this and I don't know how many people take me up on that but it's true I can give you a classic example the woman I was working with who was a comms person she was in between roles she worked with me for over two years phenomenal comms person she was high, she was recruited and within four months it was a contract she was given uh, the full-time role for all the internal and external for um, a national commission. I mean, they would be nowhere without her, you know? Well, the good news is it's, there's many good things and many qualities that have come out of this year. And it leads nicely into my, my last leadership question for you, Helen, is what would be your definition combination of looking it through both a personal lens and a professional lens, what do you think a great leader possesses? Um, a ton of empathy. <laughs> That's probably the most um, significant quality <laughs> that I think uh, most leaders uh, need and recognize slowly that that's what's necessary. Um, 
I think they need all of the skills that they've always needed before, you know, such as, you know, good judgment, communication skills. Um, but they also need, um, they need collaborative skills. They need critical thinking. They need to recognize, you know, that the workplace is, is more than just a workplace, that it's a community. Um, they, you know, I, I really believe that one key uh, um, component of being a, a, an excellent leader is ensuring that your employees or your staff um, uh, feel understood, safe, and that they can learn in their roles. I think that, um, you know, when I look at um, the research around millennials and how often they shift jobs, one of the reasons they do that is because they want to have different experiences. So I think that, you know, we, we really need to give them opportunities. I mean, so as I say, I think one of the most important roles, and I say that today, just because of COVID and all of the implications and what it's gonna mean when we come out of it, but there's so much more to leadership than that. And it, you know, you have to recognize, you know, self-awareness, know who you are so that you can complement your strengths with your, uh, with your leadership team and, uh, make sure that um, everybody is on the same page. And I really do think that, you know, the work today, and, and I think we're seeing that more and more um, because we don't have as much uh, religious communities as we did perhaps in the past. And that work has become a new uh, social construct for many, many people. And they're lamenting the fact that they can't talk around the cooler anymore because they're at home working. But there are ways of overcoming that too. So I think that you know the future holds a hybrid um, mobile workforce and uh, leadership is, is going to necessarily change. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm gonna switch gears, Helen, and I'm gonna ask you what I call my fab four. Just four fun questions. We wanna know what's sitting on the top of your mind. Are you ready? Oh dear. Yeah. Okay. First oh. question. If you had to sit down with the 16 year old version of Helen, what advice would you give her? Have more confidence in, in what you can do despite any, um, any failures or any, you know, struggles that you may have just believe in yourself. Well, that's, that's a good, recommendation for sure. I think we all can say that one for sure. If you had the ability to have dinner with any leader in the world who is living or has passed away, who would it be and why? You know, um, it would be my mother <laughs> at this point. I can't tell you how often I have thought about my parents, both of them, but my mother, because she was a woman, uh, uh, you know, it had me in the late forties and she was a amazing role model. And I didn't realize some of the struggles that she had and I'd like to delve further into them. Now I understand her so much better now that I am also um, aging and I would love the opportunity to find out more how she, how she managed as well as she did, despite all the things she did wrong. Um, I would love to have a conversation with my mother now. That's lovely. 
Who has been your biggest mentor, whether it be in your personal life or business that you can share with us today? Gosh, do you know, I grew up in an age where you didn't have mentors, especially as a woman. I was um, a secondary school uh, department head and became vice principal and principal, and I didn't have any mentors. Um, So I did eventually have um, some uh, other women principals who sort of took me under their arms. Uh, it, it took them into the fold, into their fold, but I can't say that there was one particular person. And so therefore I have made a point of making mentoring uh, one of my uh, go-to uh, attributes. And I am there for all of the younger people that I've worked with, um, as well as older people too, um, because I believe it is absolutely fundamental. And it's the most important, one of the most important activities you can do is mentor and then sponsor those people. But I can't think of one person offhand. Well, I've heard many people say it's, it takes a village. So I I understand that because there's many that have also helped me along the way. And I, I would feel amiss if I forgot someone's name. So I, I completely align with you on that. My last question is, Helen, what do you want your legacy to be? My goodness, I feel like I'm writing a eulogy here. This is so, <laughs> um, I, I guess I want to be um, rem- remembered for, you know, the, the, the contributions that I've made personally um, in the lives of students of the past in, and now in this stage of my life that I make uh, some serious inroads into fighting ageism um, and helping people overcome their own hesitancy as they age to become, um, to lead, them, lead with their own potential. If, in other words, maximize who they can be at every stage of their life, including their older stages. Because I think we're terribly, terribly um, uh, disadvantaged by, by the myths that we have grown up with and believing that, you know, as women, we'll be in a rocking chair on a porch knitting and that as men were sitting there smoking a cigar watching your older wife knit. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. So I don't know. Absolutely. If that-, Absolutely that makes sense. And I just, uh, I want to commend you on the initiative of top 60 over 60. I'm, I'm excited to watch your journey and where you take this. And I want to thank you for being on the show today and giving us a little bit of your time and sharing your expertise. Well, it's been, a, it's been a delight talking to you, Deb, and um, I look forward to other conversations either <laughs> on or offline. It's just fine. Absolutely. And I, and I wish all of your uh, listeners um, happy holidays because we're coming up to them and the best of luck as they, as they travel through their various journeys at work and at home. Absolutely. And I'm going to close the show off today with a quote from Sophia Loren. There is a fountain of youth. It is your mind, your talents, the creativity you bring to your life, and the lives of people you love. When you learn to tap this source, you will truly have defeated age. 
So this is Deb Crow. Thank you for joining me once again on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.